listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right into today's message from the Word of God. The book of Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Father, we thank you that your word tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Father, we thank you that the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature that is hidden from your sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We thank you, Lord, that the entrance of your word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. We thank you, Lord, that every word of God is pure and you are a shield to those who put their trust in you. Father, we thank you that you desire truth in the hidden part. And in the hidden part, you will make us to know wisdom. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are the salt of of the earth and then down in verse 14 the Lord tells us that you are the light of the world. Just a little footnote on salt. Common salt comprises a very stable simple chemical compound called sodium chloride which has a salty flavor. As table salt, it typically also contains minor amounts of additives to keep it free-flowing. So it is so chemically stable, sodium chloride will not lose its saltiness. Even after being stored dry for many years, however, There are ways in which salt may appear to lose its saltiness. So it is possible that even after storing salt for quite some time, that it will lose its saltiness. Historically, salt has been obtained from crude sources such as salt marshes, and minerals such as rock salt. This contains the stable sodium chloride plus other components. Sodium chloride is readily water soluble. So if this crude salt were exposed to condensation or rainwater, The sodium chloride could be dissolved and removed. And the salt could, in effect, lose its saltiness. 
Also, the salty flavor is detected by our sense of taste. If there were a psychological change in the functioning of our taste buds, salt consumed may no longer taste the same. But this would not be due to any inherent change in the salt itself. In summary, salt, that is sodium chloride, is a very stable uh, material which retains its properties when stored dry. When Jesus mentioned that you are the salt of the earth, it is also known as a preservative. Some of you growing up from your uh, younger years, your younger days, will remember fatback. Fatback has a overload of sodium chloride. But nonetheless, it preserves the meat underneath all of what is called fatback. Fatback is a name that tells you one thing, that it is the fat off of somebody's back. <laughs> But salt preserves it for whatever reason. But Jesus gives this illustration of how we as believers are to be in a world that has no salt. In fact, the only thing that's preserving this world, obviously, is the power of God operating through the child of God that is the salt that Jesus is mentioning. But if the church loses its flavor, how can it be seasoned? It has never been known to have salt lose its seasoning and to be resalted as we saw in the article, that usually there would be some elements that would uh, take away the properties that are in sodium chloride. Water is one and air is another and perhaps many other elements will have a deciding factor on whether or not salt retains its salt. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It can't. It's impossible for the salt to be salted again. So we have to be very careful as believers never to lose our saltiness. Another statement is that salt is, pre is present in most foods, but in naturally occurring foodstuffs, such as meats, vegetables, and fruit, it is present in very small quantities. It is often added to processed foods, such as canned foods, and especially salted foods, pickled foods, and snack foods or other convenient foods. Where it functions as both a preservative and a flavoring. Dairy salt is used in the preparation of butter and cheese products. As a flavoring, salt enhances the taste of other foods by suppressing the bitterness of those foods, making them more palatable and relatively sweeter. Go into the book of uh, Colossians chapter 4. We're going to see something about salt. There are uh, n numerous references on salt in the Bible. We're not going to do a comprehensive study of those scriptures. But one thing that is clear and evident about believers being salt, not only in the world, in the earth, but among ourselves. Look in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. 
let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one I do not believe that the Lord just wants us to talk frivolous talk amongst ourselves we should be able to have a conversation a decent conversation without the lewdness of the world diluting the salt that is in us that's why we have to be careful who we sit around with we have to be careful what we watch and what we see and what we hear because many of these elements that are out there in the world has the capability of diluting the salt that is in us so let your speech always be with grace grace meaning unmerited favor undeserved favor favor that can't be worked for it is also known as a manner or act it is that divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life including gratitude so be careful how you talk amongst one another because you may be the source of an individual's building up or a tearing down let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one but that's the the salt side whether the world realizes it or not God uses us to be a preservative to the earth a lot of things that are happening before our eyes is not because people in the body of Christ not just because people in the body of Christ have lost their saltiness because of the contaminating influences of the world but the world has taken their sinful lifestyle to another level for instance in Washington DC we have people in government that is completely ignoring the Constitution of the United States they say that they when they come into office initially they raise their hand to either swear or affirm to uphold the Constitution of the United States and then after they're officially sworn into office they turn around and lie like a dog by the fireplace Republicans and Democrats independents doesn't matter what brand of political party you belong to you see what we have done as far as passes and I've done this and had to repent turn from it not be sorry but turn from it was that we begin to politicize the pulpit for patriotism's sake we want because we want to use evangelicalism or evangelical means to turn the nation back to the America that we once knew and love but see that's a violation of Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 5 through 10 you're doomed if you trust in flesh we have to learn to trust in the living God no matter who sits in the White House no matter who sits in the House of Representatives no matter who sits in the Senate no matter who sits on the High Court the Supreme Court state and city legislation it doesn't really matter who's there we gotta vote them out and pray to God put righteous people in 
that may be successful for a little while, but you know what happens when evangelicals get a, a, a false sense of security and a false sense of relief from the tyranny of government? We go backwards and trust in man and then we become at ease. We no longer pray, we no longer preach the gospel. And so the pulpit has become the political arm of evangelicals to, to attempt to return America to the way it was, the way that we once knew and loved. That, my friends, is a false sense of security. A lot of people said, well, the 2020 election was one of the most important elections of our lifetime. And look what happened. A person who happens to be a pervert defeated another person that's a pervert. And what do we get? Now we're getting the real picture. Some of you may know something about AI, artificial intelligence. And already they're saying that it is getting out of control. And there's a reason for this. If AI ever gets to the place where it should be, you're looking at potentially anarchy and totalitarianism like you've never seen before. And it'll all be instruments used by the beast in the book of Revelation chapter 13. There were abnormalities in the 2020 election that came before artificial intelligence. But now that artificial intelligence is coming on the scene, a lot of people are saying in the 2024 election that the 2024 election is the most important election of our lifetime. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. Now with AI on the, on the scope, <laughs> you think that you've seen abnormalities in the 2020 election. <laughs> Wait till you see 2024. And that's why we should never trust in man. We should never trust in the devices of men because it's all about evil and not for good. Because the heart is desperately wicked. In fact, Jeremiah 17, nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, only God knows. For he said, I know the hearts. And so, if you're trusting in politics, and you're still trusting in politics, and you're still trusting that the Republican Party is going to straighten all this mess out, you're wrong. You're trusting in man instead of trusting in God. So I made a mistake, <laughs> beyond mistake, it was sin, of trusting in a politician instead of trusting in God. And had to turn from that and resume trusting in God no matter who's there. The, the job of the preacher is very simple, to preach the gospel. That's all. And let the chips fall where they lie. Well, aren't we supposed to pray for the president and all them? Yeah, the Bible teaches us to do that. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that I, I, Paul said that you would make prayers, indications, supplications, and giving of thanks for all men. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, period. And then it reverts to there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who was given to us as a ransom for all. So my job is not to preach from a political perspective and allow politics to pull on 
any believer to vote for them and then they're going to turn around and flip things around anyway. We, we don't trust in man no matter what. We trust in the living God. And so we ought to be salt and light in the earth. So we already described salt in the earth that if it loses its saltiness, how can it be seasoned? What is it good for? It is only good to be trampled underfoot. Now look at the light portion. Jesus went on and said this about the light. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're living in a day where people are hiding their light. They don't want others to know that you're in Christ. Hiding the light is a crime. We're supposed to be so bright that we can't be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. In other words, we won't put it under anything because we know that if we light something, fire goes up. And whatever is on top of it will be destroyed, will be burned. But in this sense, it is talking about just hiding the light so nobody can see it. There's four reasons why people don't witness Christ to other sinners. Reason number one is because of sin. Sin in your life. When you have sin in your life, how can you tell sinners about the Christ that you're supposed to be living for? You can't. You're disqualified. The other reason why we don't witness for Christ is because we have fear. We're afraid of their faces. We're afraid to tell them about the very life of Christ that lives on the inside of us. For the purpose of being saved from sin and dying and going to hell. We serve as a warning to the whole world. And so we should not hide our light. The third thing, the third reason why we don't witness is because we are ashamed of him. Paul said in the famous chapter, chapter 1 of the book of Romans, for I am, in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, it is the power of God. So if you're crying for more power, stop being ashamed of the gospel. Because if you're ashamed of the gospel, don't expect any more power. In that famous chapter of Romans chapter 1 has a word that deals with homosexuality and sodomites. And so there's of course other areas of sexual immorality such as pornography and adultery and fornication and bisexuality and zoophilia and so forth but Paul zeroed in on homosexuality. So we must never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because, you know, they, the, the homosexuals, they have what is called Pride Month. And so it is their way of expressing that they've come out of the closet. The purpose of the gospel is not to push them back into the closet. But their purpose is to push us into a closet and not express 
the salvation that is afforded to them if they simply repent and place faith in Christ alone. So I'm not going to hide my light. I'm not going to be pushed into a closet. I don't care what laws they pass, how they vilify Christians, it ain't happening. My light is going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter because I want them to come out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so the whole purpose of their militancy is intimidation. For instance, in uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania, I told about this, talked about the story before. An individual walked up with his sign and started preaching across the street where there were homosexuals and sodomites and the police were there. And so the, the, the man didn't care whether the police was there or not. He began to preach the gospel and he was arrested against the Constitution of the United States. But like I said before, even if the Constitution wasn't there, will you still preach? He didn't care what the police would do. He simply opened up his mouth and began to preach. And the police came and arrested him and put him in handcuffs, took him across the street and treated him like a common criminal. And see, that kind of action will intimidate a lot of believers to keep silent, to never say a word about Christ because you do not want to go through the process of incarceration. It is humiliating. But we got to remember Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. You see, what we've done with Acts chapter 16 is that we've removed the very purpose of Acts chapter 16 and only talk about late in the midnight hour. We, we never talked about whether someone got saved as a result of their ability to praise and worship God, even being incarcerated for preaching the word of God. So we have to put that scripture back in its place and get you to see that regardless of your incarceration status, you are willing to preach the word of God anyhow. You're willing to sing praises unto God anyhow because it's going to happen. One of these days, when we get the courage, when we get the backbone that the Lord has been crying out for all these years to stand and boldly proclaim the gospel irrespective of what man will do to us. It takes courage to, spree, uh, to spread the gospel. It takes courage to speak the gospel. But you see, if we're called to be light and an opportunity presents itself, then we have to learn to suppress our fears and preach light into darkness. Uh, last week, a Jehovah Witness came to my doorstep and we had a long discourse, I'd say about 45 minutes. He wanted to come inside, he and his son wanted to come inside and have Bible study, but I don't, I don't let anybody that twists the scripture into my house. It just, so, I, so we stood outside and discussed the scriptures. And uh, when you begin to, to I, uh, to, to talk about the scriptures, you will find that they have evolved in their presentation. When you talk about being saved, yeah, they'll say, yeah, I'm saved. Really? Uh, so I go down the list, so you're saved. Okay, so you don't watch porn? They, didn't, they don't expect that, you know. You, 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 you don't masturbate? Uh, you don't commit adultery, you don't fornicate, you, 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 you don't do bisexuality, none of that stuff, do you? Says, no, 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 none of that stuff. All right, cool. Glad that you, you, you can admit that. That doesn't make them saved. And I said to him, well, how come your organization declared that Jesus Christ is coming and they missed it? So what makes you think that I can trust 
your stuff if from your foundation, your or, your organization showed that Christ came well, is coming, but he never came. How can I trust you? So the light was shining and 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 he said, I'll come back next week. I said, All right, I'll, great, come back next week. Praise God. Hallelujah, round two. And I stayed home. I, I wasn't going to miss this. You know, I don't duck. I'm home. And so I went back inside after the first episode. And we, my wife and I, we, we discussed the, the episode because she was listening. And I said, you watch. If he comes next Saturday, he's going to bring two white men. Guarantee you. He's going he gonna to bring some help. You could bring you could bring a hundred people, white, black, red, yellow. You could bring a hundred people. When you know the word of God, I mean, he just kept telling me, "Go get your Bible, go get your Bible." I said, "Look, I'm not getting my Bible because I know my Bible well enough to refute everything that you say. I ain't got to get my Bible." So he said to me, "Well, Jehovah created Christ." I said, "Really? That's in the Bible?" He said, "Yeah, that's in the Bible. Show me." Show me that it's in the Bible. So I said, where's your Bible at? Is, is your Bible in your bag? Because you know they carry a bag with them. Is your, he said, no, we don't, we, we don't carry our Bible in the bag. Oh, okay. So where is your Bible? It's on my phone. Oh, so it's on your phone. Pull out your phone and show me chapter and verse where it says Jehovah created Christ. He couldn't pull it out. He didn't want to pull it out because he knew that it was there. It wasn't there. It's never there. Jesus was, is, and is to come. I told him in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when you have enough scripture on the inside of you, no matter what religion people may use to try to get you off your game, you know that you can trust the scriptures as being truth and correct. So I didn't hide my light. <laughs> that light was for everybody to see. It is always an opportunity for you to show how bright your light is in Christ. So the third thing is that you're ashamed. The fourth thing is that you're ill-equipped, meaning that you're, you haven't received training or the training was offered, but you never took it. And so one of the intimidating factors is, is that someone will come along and tell you something that can throw you off your game. And so being ill-equipped is another reason, or the fourth reason why people do not witness. And so it, it is important that the child of God be equipped. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 tells us, Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so, uh, if, you, if you're ill-equipped to share the gospel with people, there's numerous resources that you can get to be trained in the effective apologetic delivery of the scriptures and so the word light Jesus said you are the light of the word it is the Greek word phos which is spelled P-H-O-S which is where we get the word photo from and it means to shine or make manifest especially by rays luminousness in the widest application, natural or artificial, abstract or concrete, literal or figurative. But light is also fire. Every, everything that you see here, every, every light that you have, we call it electricity, but electricity is controlled fire. In fact, in your body, the nervous system it's fire. It sends signals throughout the body to the central area of the brain. 
So that way you know what's right or what's wrong with your body. And so, because God breathed into us the breath of life, he also put within us electricity, which is by means, a, a way by which uh, uh, signals can be transmitted to and from the body. But that's not what I wanted to talk about. I just wanted to show that to you. But see, Jesus said that you are the light of the world. So the only way that you could become the light of the world is that you've got to be born again. If you're not born again, you can't be light. If you're not born again, you're darkness. If you're not born again, you're of the kingdom of darkness. So to learn how to be light, let's look at the light. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In order for us to learn to be light, we got to look at the light. In the beginning, verse 1, John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now just as a side note, in their New World Translation, which was finished and completed in 1950, with additional additions, in 1960 and so forth yet in their new world translation their bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was a god and that's what he pointed out to me he says the, he, the word jesus is not god jesus is a god i said that's impossible because number one the greek throws out your little statement the letter a is not a part of the Greek language. So automatically his statement is debunked. But just the fact that in the beginning was the word and the word was God is simply enough. Because if Jesus isn't God, then God couldn't have created the world by Jesus. So Jesus is God. Make no mistake about it. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything was not uh, and without him was uh, without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. So the life that is in Christ is the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the darkness shines in, excuse me, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now we all know that when you go into the book of Genesis chapter 1, we see God creating the heavens and the earth. But one of the things that I noticed that when you begin to read Genesis chapter 1 is that uh, when he said, let there, let there be light, and there was light, and then the, the, the day from the evening to the morning was the first day. So he separated the light from the darkness. This was not the creation of the sun and the moon, because that happens a little later in Genesis. But the fact that he said, let there be light, and there was light, and he separated light from the darkness, now we begin to see verse 5 in its place. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In other words, the word did not understand why it had to move. Darkness didn't under, couldn't comprehend or understand why light showed up. So Jesus is the, the, the life and he is the light of men. Look at verse 6 now. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is speaking of John the Baptist. This man came for a witness to bear witness of Jesus, who is the light. That all through him, meaning Jesus, might believe. He was not that light, John the Baptist, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man.
coming into the world. Now this is not saying that every man coming into the world, this is saying of Christ coming into the world. And Christ is the one that gives light to every man. So the, so the darkness cannot comprehend the light. Go to John chapter 8. John the 8th chapter. And look at verse 12. John the 8th chapter, look at verse 12. This is after the incident with the woman caught in adultery. And then Jesus said in verse 12, uh, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So see, we're seeing a consistent theme here. That in order for you to have light, you must have life. And this life comes from Christ alone. So not only do we see Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 tell us that you are the light of the world? We see Jesus saying this of himself, I am the light of the world. So how could we be the light of the world and he is the light of the world? Very simple. If you come into Christ, Christ is operating through you as that light. And that's how the light works. The light doesn't work in us independently of Christ. Remember what it says in the book of uh, John chapter 15. Abide in me and I in you. So when we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us, the light that is in him is in us. So we never operate independently of that light because he further went on and said, without me, you can do nothing. So without Christ, we can't have life, hence we can't shine the light. So it's very important for us to understand that our life, excuse me, our life is in Christ. Our light is not independent of Christ, but it is interconnected with Christ at all times. Now, go to John chapter 14, look at verse 30. Because in John chapter 14 and verse 30, we, we must readily see that there is no darkness in Christ. John chapter 14, look at verse 30. I will no longer talk with you, talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. So, but notice what Jesus said, that the ruler is coming, but he has nothing in me. And see, this ties in with the book of John, uh, 1 John, the first epistle of John, if you'll turn there. The first epistle of John, chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. Now remember what we saw in John chapter 1, that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Uh, he is that light. So Jesus is God, so light comes from the Father, light comes from the Son, light comes from the Holy Spirit, no question about that. But here we see that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, just like what we read in John chapter 14 and verse 30 where Jesus said the prince of this world is coming or the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. And so when we read this out of 1 John chapter uh, 1 and verse 5, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, then there is no darkness in him at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So you better watch your walk. Because if you're walking in darkness and you claim to be in Christ, you don't have fellowship with him and you're lying and you're not practicing the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all 
sin. So watch your walk. If you claim to be in Christ, don't walk in darkness at the same time. Otherwise, you're lying and you're not practicing the truth. Go to James chapter 1 and verse 17. James chapter 1 and verse 17. Watch what James says here by the Spirit of God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. It's in the plural. We'll get to that in a moment. With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, God can stand wherever he wants to stand and a shadow will not show up. Everywhere he goes, everywhere he turns, even the shadow can't show himself. He won't allow it because there's no darkness in him at all. But now notice what it says, Father of lights. So if, if the Father of lights, what, 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 are, what are the lights? It's a combination of things. Number one, what he created as far as light, separating light from darkness. And us. Who, if we're in Christ, we have his light in us. So the lights are a combination of what he created and us. In whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So now we, we come to identifying the light even further with this. With this fact that the Son of God is the Word of God. So Jesus is the light of the world. There's, there's no question there's no question about the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, but it is also a fact that we in him are the light of the world. We in him are the light of the world. Now go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, look at verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Remember when Jesus said in John chapter 8 that he is the light of the world? A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Can you see why people are confused in life? They don't know where they're going. It's always the one that have the light that know where they're going. But you see, if we put our light under a bushel, people will not know where to go. Verse 36 now. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Notice that the word sons is in the plural, which confirms what we saw in James chapter 1 and verse 17. That every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. So now we see sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Go now to the ninth chapter of the book of John. The ninth chapter of the book of John and verse 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus said this while he was ministering to a blind man. Now one of the things that we have to understand about the healing power of Jesus, Jesus does heal today, there's no question about it, because he could do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, and that's the way that it is. But in this, he's using the blind man as an illustration to show the spiritual condition of Israel. By showing to them that they are blind, and if you come to me, you'll have light. 
So as long as Jesus is in the world, at that time during his earthly ministry, he is the light of the world. So let's go through some more scriptures. Hebrews chapter 1, if you'll turn there. Hebrews chapter 1, and look at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, Jesus is the brightness of his image. He is the very glory of God. And so when the Lord spoke through Jesus in these last days, it started the clock of the final hour which we are now in today. Now when will it end? Nobody knows. Our job is basically very simple, and that is to be salt and light, to preach the gospel to the sinners so that way they can come to the light. Go to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Not the first one born again because that's error. Jesus was never born again because why would God need to be born again? So if you're hearing a doctrine out there in the world that says that Jesus is the first one that was born again, that's a doctrine of the devil. Because why would God be, be born again? He doesn't need to be born again. When it speaks about the firstborn over all creation, it is talking about being raised from the dead. Christ is the first one to be raised from the dead and stay that way. All the other individuals that were raised from the dead had to die again. So when you see firstborn, it is speaking of the resurrection of Jesus and that he will never be resurrected ever again because there will be no need for him to die again. So when you see first, that means preeminent. So evidently Jesus being raised from the dead is first. So he is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Our bodies, we owe our existence to Jesus. Because by him all things consist. Consist meaning brought together. For by him all things consist. And in him all things consist is what it reads. What it reads. Verse 18 now. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So now we see what was said in verse 15 about the firstborn over all creation. And then Paul expounds on that by saying. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he may have the preeminence. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. So now, once again, this is, a, this is a reminder of sons of light. You are the light of the earth, and that the father of lights. This is uh, Peter's uh, chance to share the word. Remember uh, that Jesus was transfigured in Matthew chapter 17. I don't know if we're going to get time to see that today, but we'll see. All right, so verse 9 in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 
his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have, have obtained mercy. All right, so God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Go back to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And let's look at verse 9. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now we see that we are saints in light. Why? Because verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. And have translated, I like the word translated because that's King James, that I'm used to that. It says here conveyed, but it's actually translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, and then the rest of the verses of Scripture that we've read previously. But we're out of darkness, and now we're saints in light. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at verse 13. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep, it, keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing which he will manifest in his own time so don't worry about the coming of the Lord don't worry about the rapture it will manifest in his own time we need to stay busy and preach the gospel shine our light and be salt in the earth which he will manifest in his own time he who is the blessed and only potentate potentate simply means um, dynasty Dynasty. That's what potentate means. The King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Now, remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus and a bright light shone above him? You see, the problem is with that, and there's no contradiction here, is that he couldn't, Paul couldn't see what was behind that light. Because every light has a source. Every light has a source. So to see Christ, he saw him in his full brilliance. The light of the world in its full brilliance. And so we are the light of the world, but not in that same brilliance, but we are to shine. You've been listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, and Spreaker. The Minister's Crucible and Prevailing Word Live is on YouTube. There's exclusive content for ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ found at theministerscrucible.com. Follow Prevailing Word Ministries Incorporated and The Minister's Crucible on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening. Thank you.